Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Brian Fallon is one of the greatest living songwriters. Yes, I said it. Hell, even Bruce Springsteen is a fan. When Brian's group, the Gaslight Anthem, released their album, The 59 Sound, in 2007, critics and audiences loved it. It was a surprise hit for 2007, a punked-up Springsteen-style rock and roll record full of brilliant storytelling and imagery. It's music that is heartbreakingly sincere and dramatically poetic, and still holds up today. But during the pandemic, we learned that Brian Fallon is a ska fan. He tweeted about it quite a bit, so he brought Brian on the show to talk about how much he loves ska. Aaron, do you know who Brian Fallon is? Oh, yes, I do. Everybody knows him from the band Gaslight Anthem, but I first met him when he was in Lane Meyer. Wow, you go way back. <laughs> way back. We played a show together <laughs> in Canada. And I think they didn't have any trouble crossing the border, but I'm sure we did because we never did it the proper way. And uh, they did a Soul Asylum cover of uh, I Want Somebody to Shove. And I remember that being like the standout track of the night for me that Lane Meyer played. And Brian sang that song. Uh, it was one of the few songs uh, in that band he sang because he was not uh, an OG member. He was He jumped in for that tour. And so he was the new guy. I think he was really young, like 16. Yeah, you can hear. I mean, you can just listen back to that. And uh, his songwriting, his voice, it's all great. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Gaslight Anthem, I remember um, when they kind of blew up um, as like, I'm not sure how mainstream it was, but it was definitely all of the music critics were like, this is the band. Yeah, I was really surprised when this band was getting all this uh, huge recognition. I was like, whoa, this is that dude from that band we played with a million years ago. It actually wasn't a million years ago at the time. It was like maybe it was maybe like seven years ago at the time. Yeah. And it's like a, you know, a rock and roll band and, you know, to see like a rock and roll band in that what would have been like what mid late two thousands, get that kind of attention. It's pretty amazing. Totally amazing. Especially with all the, what the musical climate was like at that time. And now we learn through the magic of Twitter that Brian Fallon's a ska fan. Yeah. 
Yeah. We keep finding them. We're going to keep finding them. <laughs> you like ska? We're going to find you. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2010, you you did a set with uh, Tom Duhamel at yeah. the uh, Spring Hill Jack reunion. I did. I did. Maybe I did. Did I? I, I guess I did. I don't, you forgot. I got thrown off here because you didn't do the intro that we had agreed upon, which is like, we are here today with the greatest musician I ever walked the face of the earth. I know my mom called. Look, my mom promised me she would call you guys ahead of time and tell you that that's what needed to be said. Okay. So I'm hanging up. No, uh, I do remember playing with Tom Duhamel, and I do remember singing uh, Pop Song Green. Are we talking about? Yeah. Pop Song Green. Yeah. By Spring Heel Jack. Great song. Great song. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, let's unpack it. Let's unpack it. By the way, the, the rendition you guys did was great. I didn't actually didn't know this. I, I, I've always loved that song, but I didn't know that that was actually a cover by uh, the band called Big Mistake, which I learned that very recently. What? Yeah, yeah. It's a cover. There's another version. I'm going to. All right. Big Mistake. I'm writing this down. So they're like, uh, I feel like a not, you know, an obscure uh, Connecticut punk band. I love the obscure New England bands. There's a okay. band called Lost. Uh, I had a demo or a whatever tape. There's a three or four song cassette by a band called Lost Pilot from up in, in uh, I got it at a Legion Hall show somewhere and mm-hmm. I've lost it and I miss it so bad. And so if anybody in that band or, you know, their sisters or whatever are listening, I would I would really like that. New England was great. So when you when you guys played this song, you said because it's on YouTube, by the way, um, that you you guys you and Tom used to sit around when you were fifteen and just marvel at uh, this song or maybe Spring Hill Jack in general, and said that you know one day you hope to be able to be good songwriters like this. Yeah, I mean, like there, those were like our very early days of like sitting in like there's nothing to do. The town where we went, Tom and I went to high school. It was in, I went to Hackettstown High School, um, which is like not great. I mean, like the people are some are sometimes cool and then like sometimes not great. And um, it's not a town known for like it's happening nightlife. So, um, and Tom grew up in Long Valley, which was even less, uh, but possibly slightly more money there. Like maybe not Tommy's family, but like the, you know, like it was nicer houses over there. Um, and it wasn't, we had nothing to do. Like there was nothing cool. And the city was like an hour and a half away and like New Brunswick was far. So it sucked. And we just had to sit on the like car and just like have a sandwich and like a Coke that we bought at the sub shop and listen to music and like out out of the, the, the car with the doors open or whatever. And we would just sit there all the time listening to music like this. Yeah. I listened to that song with New Ears, the Spring Hill Jack, their version of that song, which is pretty different, by the way. It is different. When you listen to the, the original, it's pretty different. It isn't. It's interesting. I heard it has like, wow, this, you know, you kind of hear how it being influential in your style because it's. That might be a stretch, but, but, okay. The, 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 mel- the <laughs> not the ska part of it, the, um, <laughs> the melody, the melody and chords. I feel like, yeah, I could kind of hear that. I could see why this song, you like, like this song a lot. Yeah, I mean, it like it has a nice like. I mean, to me, it reminds me of of, of Motown and and, mm-hmm. and soul music. Like the it's it's got that kind of melody with it. Um, but that's that's sort of the the strength of it. I mean, I don't know. 
how much stock I'm going to put that this is like a nail in the coffin of my songwriting career. <laughs> like, I'm not going to go down as saying like, this was like hugely influential any more than saying like me and my friend really like this song and that was cool. And I still think it's cool. So we're not rewriting your bio or anything. <laughs> It'd be tough to be like, you know what changed my life? Pop song green. <laughs> not sure I'm going to go down that road. Was Damon Haas with you at that show? Because the YouTube com the YouTube description says, but that was the case. But I didn't see him in the video. I'm I'm not sure that Dave Haas was anywhere near there. Yeah, no, I would I wouldn't sure. I mean, you're you're really like starting up on a Wednesday with a show from 2010 in the Court Tavern <laughs> that I have no recollection of being at. So I mean, I remember being with Tommy. Like that's what I remember. Sure, but I don't know. Like. I mean, I, I don't think Dave would have been, he would have been living in Philly, probably running around with the loved ones at that time, right? 2010? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that makes sense. Yeah. We'll start, we're just starting off on left field a little bit. Time at home during then was probably pretty, uh, pretty slim. So like, that was probably like, uh, I'm home for three days. Tommy was like, we're playing at the court tavern. Okay, cool. Checking in. <laughs> when, when was it? Was it like during the year, like summer or winter? It was May. May. Okay. So yeah, probably home for like a, a a hot minute, and then and then back out. Yeah, a lot of blurry blurry times. Two thousand ten, <laughs> big stuff. American slang, fifty nine sound. English people, Bruce Springsteen, very blurry, fast moving. Can I can I take you back a little bit further, Brian? Yeah, I mean, how far back you want to go? Another cover song, "Somebody to Shove" with Lane Meyer. Hmm. That was the last time we were in the same room together. Um, you you played that song with Lane Meyer. Show was uh, Link Eighty, Lawrence Arms, and Lane Meyer somewhere in Canada. It was it in Oh Canada. Yeah, I was in the room with the merch, and and that was the song that you would sing in the band, right? Yeah, I had two songs I was allowed to sing, and if it was <laughs> any more, I'd get whipped. Um, <laughs> well, you know what sucks, though, is it came to find out later that they didn't like my song, or at least some of the members, I don't know who. Wow. Yeah, I found out later that they were like, they were like, we don't like your song. And like, but they didn't say it to me. It was to like some of the other bands on the tour. And I was kind of like, so now like 10 years later, I feel kind of stupid about it, but or uh, 20 years later. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, somebody to shove Soul Asylum. I did that, and then I did a song called Alarm. So that just before you you nail me to that uh, that cross as well. <laughs> besides like Pop Song Green, I feel like you're just trying to nail me here. Like Pop Song Green, not a giant influence on my future songwriting. Uh, and Lane Meyer tour. Let's get it straight. I was filling in there because they lost sure. their singer, a guitar player, and so I jumped on for a tour. Uh, they asked me to like join the band and you know, I was like, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, so played in the band kind of thought like, okay, I'm going to join the band. Maybe we're going to ch change the, you know, cause there's a new member. Maybe we're going to, I'm going to write some songs. You're going to write some songs. We're going to grow, uh, grow into a, you know, a different style together or whatever. Um, and I think that maybe that wasn't the place that they were in at the time. I think that they probably needed to get their old singer back. Because mm. uh, they had a thing, you know, they did. They had a really a thing in, in New Jersey. It was like a pop punk thing. But I was like heavily on the hot water music, like Avail, Leatherface, like that sort of bearded, like, you know, thing, like songwriter punk, you know, but like mixed with Fugazi and stuff. And and I, I was like, 
I remember being on the tour, like scrambling to find the latest American steel record in any record store I could find and like playing it for the, the band in the car and or in the van and then being like, what the heck? This sucks. And I was like, you <laughs> suck. I was like, you don't know what this is. This is, this is music with purpose. I was like, I have newfound glory. I, it's fine, but it's not, it's not the same thing. It's I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find something here. And I was on this like quest, you know, to find my sense. And I, you know, and I appreciated all the music they like. Um, they were listening big on that tour was big. Newfound glory and at the drive-ins record was all the time mm-hmm. uh, in that van, which I, uh, I, I enjoy at, you know, I enjoy, it's fine. I like that music, it, it, but it wasn't what I was looking for at the time. And that was that. And uh, I brought in that, I, that somebody to shove cover because i think that song's rad and then i thought you know it would be cool to cover so that's that's how that happened and that's where uh, that's what i was doing in that band promptly didn't make it past that tour right i think well, i think that was ended up being their last tour y- yeah i don't know i mean they like they they had a couple reunions that they did not call me for <laughs> <laughs> if you had gotten that call brian would you have gone and done the lane meyer reunion you know what? Maybe because I'll be honest with you. Like I, the, I learned so much about being in a band and writing songs and like, you know, playing in time and harmony and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. I learned a lot of that from those guys. And so that was my first tour, like my first real tour sure. ever. And, and I'm grateful for that, even if they didn't like my stupid song. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I might've, I might've done it. It depends. Honestly with me, it depends on the day you catch me. Sometimes I'll be like, totally I'll do that. And then sometimes I'll be like, never. Yeah. I feel <laughs> that. You know, you know, the other weird connection though, with um, soul asylum and, and ska punk from the late nineties, one of the guys that was in, um, that was in animal chin is in soul asylum now. What's animal chin. Animal chin was another ska punk band from that era. Really? And they're in soul asylum. Yeah. The, the, one of the guitar players, J- Jeremy Tapiro plays bass in soul asylum now. Get out of here! That they, I, I, I think Solosan had some great songs. So, absolutely, even back in the before the Grave Dancers Union, I think they had they had this song called "Cartoon" that I love. That is that one a nail in your songwriting coffin? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Like, I mean, <laughs> how many nails? Like when you're talking about my songwriting coffin, I'm talking about like a mechanized nailer that shoots lots of nails. You get a lot of nails. Not a lot of nails. Um. That's I would put Solasheim in that in that uh, coffin, um, but I would also put. You know what's funny about that tour? I got to say also. Uh, speaking of Newfound Glory, we played at new. We played a show in California somewhere with Newfound Glory, and it uh-huh. was probably one of the only shows that was actually attended on that tour by any human. <laughs> and uh, they were very big. I will tell you that I have a Shy Halud tattoo uh, from like forever ago and i guess chad was the singer of shy halud for a while yeah and 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 they like i think some of the guys were like trying to bust my chops a little bit about it and being like look like you know and like pulling up my sleeve to show chad and i was nervous because i was like you know it's chad it's chad's cool you know and um and uh and he and he saw it and he was like so cool about it he was so kind and like we didn't know each other at all but he was really like just supportive. And he was like, shut up guys. Like that was my band. Like, don't make fun of people. Like he likes that band. That's cool. You know? And I, and I thought that that was like, that was pretty righteous thing to do. Cause 
he didn't know me at all. Sure. But I will say this. Once I saw Newfound Glory get on stage, I like turned to the one guitar player in Landmeyer that I was really kind of close with. And I was like, dude, I was like, this band is so much better than us. Like, <laughs> they are, this is a professional band. We are not professionals. And he was looking at me and starts dying laughing because he goes, I know. <laughs> and it was like such a like schooling. And I'm talking about from the first three seconds they went on stage. I was like, oh my God, this band is incredible. You know, like they're just, they were a professional band. They knew what they were doing. And, the, and it was really like, wow. You know, I had such a similar experience in Link 80 playing at Chain Reaction. And for some reason we were, quote unquote headlining and they were opening newfound glory was opening and i just remember turning Whoa. to the person next to me literally like three seconds into the set and just going like why is this band playing first yeah <laughs> they were incredible like and, and this was like 98 or 99 like they were incredible like i had never seen like we it was like the pop punk heyday yeah and like i was going to like legion hall shows and like seeing all these like crazy bands and like planes mistaken for stars and stuff and it was like everybody was wild like the scene that I came from, everyone was like, it was a lot of like indie rock and math rock and like just kind of like very aggressive, thoughtful, you know, like you'd find somebody reading a book between sets and not like talking or, you know, whatever. But so there's no fun is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, it was awesome, but there was no fun. A lot of crying, which I was down with. A lot of like pounding the chest, which I was also down with. Um, many beards sometimes dreadlocks, uh, but not a lot of fun. And when I saw Newfound Glory go on, I was like, this is, this is like, it's like a birthday party. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't like, it, it's not like, it wasn't the music I was searching for at the time for my, you know, my own personal consumption, but I was definitely blown away that they were and how tight they were. I was just like, this is incredible. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, that's it. Good talking to you guys. <laughs> I love it when like, you know, people outside of ska just start tweeting about ska, which you've become one of those people uh, in the last year or so. The first one I noticed was when the Abrupters covered uh, Forget Me Not and then Mike Park retweeted it. What did you think of that, um, that version? Well, I thought it was great because I was, I remember that day and I was, I was so shocked to see Mike Park write anything about me because like that's my first like mail order experience like when i was like really young like i couldn't have been i don't know 14 or something and i couldn't go to shows and i couldn't see these bands so i remember looking at like mike's catalog and sort of being like that's why i found link 80 i was like uh i was like okay i was like that guy looks cool on the cover and it was like uh you know it was it was just a, a picture of nick like jumping black and white like very punk looking and I'm like, I got to get this. And so I bought the record completely not knowing what it sounded like. I got it. I thought it was the best thing I'd heard. Um, and I would just pick out records through my... I mean, that's how I found out about the Alkaline Trio, like the the um, the EP before, you know, like I think it's called For Your Lungs Only or something. Mm -hmm. Like that. And like the, the, there was like all these bands, Skank and Pickle. And, and I would just start ordering all this stuff and, and being like, this is so cool. And, and he would, you know, whoever was working there, I'm not sure they would send like boxes of stuff. And then they would always like put in extra stuff, like, like cool stuff, like stickers or an extra CD or a shirt. And you'd just be like, wow, that's, that's really nice. You know? And, 
I remember being like, I can't believe he's tweeting about my stupid song because this is a cool person to me. And then there's a band covering it, which is sort of, uh, this is all dawning on me recently that my band has had some sort of effect on people like kids and that they're making music because of it. I'm like, what? Like, cause I get it that like, there's people my age that like it. And I get, I guess like, you know, like it, it doesn't, I don't like walk around the supermarket being like, what's up? 59 sound. Hey, you know, like I just forget completely that I was in a band and then, and then I'm like, Oh yeah, this is cool. And, and when that happened, I was like, wow, you know, still relevant. It's pretty okay. Yeah. It's a cool, they, they kind of do a more like trad ska sort of version of it. Um, yeah. Now your version, your original, which is actually uh, kind of a, but this is, this is like what, 2017? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's actually kind of more of a recent song. Um, well, I would, I'd love to hear a little bit more. The tone is very interesting to me. This, are are you kind of commenting on um, like this idea of like imagining how your partner would, what they would do if you passed away and how they would process it and if they would continue to think about you? I mean, that's kind of the idea of it, right? Yeah. And it like sort of flips uh, at the end. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the deal. I mean, that's like a big, I don't know, maybe it's because I have kids now. Like I'm just obsessed with this thought of like life is not so permanent and and I don't have a real good answer for that right now. <laughs> and like, I hate when I read about like sudden things that happen to people. I just, I like, I, I walk around sometimes and this is like a little bit weird to say, but I have a, like a pretty healthy paranoia about that. Um, so I sort of pick at it like a scab all the time. And, uh, and I do it in my songwriting. Like, I think that's been going on since the 59 sound though, or maybe before that. I have a, definitely have a huge fascination with music that, uh, is directly about or tangentially about death and yeah. how did the effect, the impact that death has on people. Um, so I really love that song. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I've listened, like, I mean, to give you an example though, I mean, I've listened to the Mount Erie records countless time. I don't know if you've ever sat with those, the ones where he, his wife died. And uh, Oh no. Oh, these are the saddest song. These are the saddest records you will ever listen to. That's terrible. His wife died and he wrote like these two, the most, the most raw records, a crow, a crow looked at me. And I think I can't remember the other one here now, something like that. Uh Um, Really like unglamorous, like look at death. Just really like, what is it actually like? That's what I, that's how I listen to these records. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like I, I just, I get, I get into the moment of like this emotion of it. Your song obviously is not that dark, but it has like a tone. It has a tone to it. That's, it is dark, but it's, I don't know. There's something, it's almost like celebrate or anthemic too. It, it's like, there's mixed feelings in it. That's, that's me. Mixed feelings. <laughs> that's what they should have named me. Mixed feelings. <laughs> I feel that way about everything. Like, what do you think about tacos? Love tacos. Not sure though. <laughs> They also might be bad for me. Well, because you don't know, yeah. you know, like you don't know what the experience is till you try it. It's it's very. I have a very odd thing about that. A duality, if you will. Yeah, the abrupters version I think captures a similar but different tone, which I, I appreciate as well. So it's interesting to kind of hear their version and hear your version and stuff, and 
very cool yeah to me it was just it was just cool that that they did it and i thought it was it was fun to like hear another band especially from like a different genre appreciate Mm -hmm. that i did that song because i think that that song and that record sort of had a lot to do with the um sort of like that british r&b stuff that was you know kind of like in punk and kind of in in ska and and it, it did it definitely had roots there like all that stuff did the little like stab guitars that were happening throughout the whole record even though it necessarily wasn't a traditional record which i sort of almost wish i just had the courage to just have done a traditional record like that and been like this is what it is um but <laughs> i mean i like it the way it is too so i don't know maybe you know, I I don't know if I'm going to be like I guess Jeff Rosenstock did two versions of his record, right? Yeah. But am I am I able to do that? Like Jeff Rosenstock, sort of a superhero. You could do it. Brian Fallon's also a superhero. Do it. Who knows? You know, I don't know. I got I got to see. I was not in bomb the music industry. Legendary. <laughs> but you were in Lane Meyer. I was for a brief time. Yeah. Wait, you're gonna drop the Lane Meyer card and not even like any of the other groups? No, I just I just pulled the most random one I could. So. That's fair. I appreciate it. I get it. You guys are really trying to like get trying to ruin my cred with the punks. What am I gonna do? No, what I what I want though, I want you to pull a Rosenstock and, and re-record it as a Trad Scott record. Ooh, that would be good. Do it. Why not? Yeah, I could do it. I could, you know, I might even hire Jeff's band. You should. That's what I'm saying. This isn't a joke. I'm, I'm actively lobbying for it. Maybe I'll do this. And I'll be like, listen, you know, Jeff Rodenstock, I need to borrow your musicians if they're available yeah. and willing and willing to do it. I, I, you know, I bet you they would do it. I know they would do it. Ah, who knows? You know, they're very popular right now. Very popular. You can't, you can't just knock on the door. As soon as they get home from tour. They're doing it. They'll be like, I'd be like, how about this? You had no dream. Now I got a dream for you. Listen, <laughs> this is my dream. I love this idea. I want this to happen so bad. Yeah, I think this could be cool. You know, we'll do, I mean, this is great. We'll do this. We'll be right back after this. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, actually, that's funny. You, you, you talk about the stab guitar. You, 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 did a, you were talking about this on Twitter about how the the stab guitar, depending on how you play it, could be soul, could be R&B, could be reggae, could be ska. Yeah. So what do you think it is? It's just, I guess it's just because it's like a rhythm. I guess because you're, you're dealing with rhythm on the guitar. Well, I mean, to me, it always starts with R&B and, and, and ska music, like with from my younger days and like the, where I learned how to play guitar. So, mm-hmm. but people in like the music press are very unnuanced lately. Like 
in the last like 10 years, there's not a lot of like, like when people review any record, they'll sort of like, there used to be a, a little bit of a musicality in there where they would say like, you know, if an artist tried something different, they would sort of pick that up and be like, okay, you know, like I'm not, a, I'm not a Led Zeppelin guy, but like, I mean, I find they're fine. They're, they're fine. But, uh, it, it, it like you know when they would do like a new record people would be like okay they were doing blues and now they've got like more of this like jimmy page has found open tunings and he's like sliding or using a slider you know they're using more like medieval sort of chord progressions or there would be more reference to the musicality whereas now you find that in like jazz you don't find that in popular culture um writing you know and i, and I miss that it's not it's I miss it a lot because like something simple like, you know, where is this thing coming from? Where is this stab coming from? Like, well, it's an approach, and like if you do it this way, it sounds like James Brown. But if you do it this way, it sounds like the Body Snatchers, and it's very different, mm. at least to me. Yeah, you know, but it also has to do with the backbeat there. That's the thing that I guess maybe defines it more. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm a big sucker for those fills the da, 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 <laughs> with the snare turned off, you know, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm in. All right. So I have a weird little sidebar for you real quick, Brian. So yeah, obviously you like really care about the nuances of, of music and I'm sure there's songs when you hear them, you want to share them with somebody and you'll be like, Hey, listen to the song. And you put on a song for someone. How much does it bum you out when they like start talking over it or start doing something else? <laughs> oh, it, it's so much so that I just stopped doing that. I never yeah. play music for anyone anymore <laughs> because it's just like, <laughs> I can't take it. I get so disappointed easily. Like my, I'm like a child where I get very excited. And the second I feel any sort of indifference coming from whoever is listening, I, I just like, I, I can't handle it. And I just go like, this is why I just privately listen to music like <laughs> by myself. And I just go, this is awesome. And I tell <laughs> no one. I, I need to learn that lesson. I guess that's why Twitter is good. You know, I wish I had more of like a knowledge about like forums, I guess. Is that still a thing? Forums? I I guess, but I, I feel like doing that stuff, is, sometimes it just feels like throwing it into the ether. Like, you yeah, know, when you're right. having like a moment with somebody and you're like having a conversation and then you put something on for them, you like expect that to be reciprocated and they just like start telling you about something that happened at the grocery store. There's there's people though who are who are attuned to this you know i gotta i gotta give it to my wife she'll she'll humor me and she will listen to the most asinine things that i say <laughs> about music and will truly attempt to listen and be like and i'll know i'll be like you don't hear any difference right i'm like this is insane to you i'm a crazy person in the room with you and you just you want to get out like a caged animal and but she she doesn't she just stays and she abides and then, like, you know, does something later to get me back by making me listen to Blur. Nice. <laughs> She's a bit, my wife's a big Blur fan, and I, I am not. So this is, I'm an Oasis fan. I can't be dealing with this Blur business. It's a house divided. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my wife, I have to catch her. Like, there's a lot of times where she's not interested. But if I can catch her when she's interested, she's very receptive to listening to music. But, yeah, it's all about catching that moment. Because I'm the same way. Like, I, if... I pretty much don't show music to people anymore either for the same reason. And I just have all of this music going on and that I'm like so involved with, but yeah, I don't like talk about it with anybody because I don't want 
Yeah. I don't want people to talk about it. You don't want to feel rejected. I don't want to feel like it's like it all, all this music matters so much to me. Yeah. And I have all these emotional yeah. investments in these specific songs. Well, you got to worry about stuff like that because like, you know, what if, uh, you know, what if you, what if you follow them and they don't follow you back on Twitter, you know, mm-hmm. 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 what's going to happen? You, you probably, you, yeah, you'd be crushed. <laughs> what else were you listening to in the ska realm? Was it, was it just Asian man or were you, were you kind of broadening your uh, ska interests back in the nineties as well? I was, I was definitely broadening. Um, I was looking, I was looking backwards and forwards at the same time. So for me, I would go and my favorite band from any of that time, nine, the late nineties uh, was uh, the slackers. That's my favorite band. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. And I think criminally underrated songwriter Vic is, uh, like, I think he should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I, I don't think, I, like, I think ahead of many bands because he writes better songs than 99% of the people that I think have gotten successful. And I think that the, the hindrance has been because people can't accept that maybe it's ska music or whatever. And that yeah. wasn't cool for a while. And, you know, and that that's fine. Like, I get it. But it, He's such a secret gem, you know, with with songs that to me really should be recognized in even just in a songwriting way, like his storytelling and like, you know, like Married Girl, like I've never heard anybody write anything like that. That's a really engaging, it's funny and it's like, I don't know, it's, it's really, he's great. Yeah. Awesome. I think that there's like, aside from like the sort of like people thinking Scott's not cool or whatever, I think that there's a weird issue people have with music that's uh, groove based. You know, it could be, this is true even for soul music where they have a hard time seeing that there's a songwriter and that the songwriter is really good and the songwriting itself is exceptional. It's like, like it seems like our culture accepts like a guy with acoustic guitar, the songwriter way, be- way more than like, song by band that has a good groove to it as well oh yeah yeah you know we should put that to the test maybe i'll make the fellas learn a um a slackers tune on the next tour and just be like i just punish people with it (laughs) i don't care definitely do that it'd be awesome what song would you do oh i was just thinking that right as you said that i was just thinking i would probably i you know what let me pull it up here i gotta look um i want to look at the question because i feel like my favorite song I well immediately I love the song The Nurse. I love that song so much. Um, but that's on the, the album after that. Um, the question I gotta see. The the nurse is on Wasted Days, which I think, you know, waste you know, Root and Reckless I think is great because it reminds me, um, like I didn't know my dad growing up. So um to me when I heard that song, I always imagined like that that's what my dad would say to me and like and it really I don't know if I necessarily agree with the, you know, the politics of it, but um, I don't not agree either. And I, I think that it, 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 you know, that was like a cool, that was a cool one for me, but um, let me see here. We can, I mean, we can continue chatting as I figure this out. I'll just interject with it <laughs> randomly. But you know what? It was this song. Let me see if I, if I had to like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe like have the time. That's a good one. Yeah. Or, you know, like, Oh, I like, yes, it's true. That's a good one. 
There's a lot. I don't know. I'd like to sit with this. Yeah. Maybe you just need to learn a couple and just uh, ro- rotate them, rotate them out through the through the tour. I might do a thing in the set and be like, "Listen, you guys, you know, now's the time to get your beer." If you, <laughs> I'm gonna play some sound music. <laughs> I got no more crying, you know. Like oh, this is great. Do a slackers mini set in the middle of your own set. Yeah, I'll do it. I'm partial to Dave's friend uh, from Wasted Days because mm-hmm. I love I love that uh, it's got slide guitar. It sounds it sounds like yeah. Slide guitar goes perfectly with a ska song. I love a slide guitar. I, I mean, I've never heard that before, but that would, I mean, I've heard it in Dave's friend, but not in like as a, as a thing. It's not a thing, but I think Dave's friend proves that it could be a thing. Should be a thing. Should be. You know, Rancid did a lot, a lot for this too. Like they, they did try to put that foot forward in the, in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Vic played on, did, did he, play on some of those rancid records pretty sure he played keys on some of them huh maybe actually i'm not sure about that yeah i know he was involved with the stubborn all-stars which was uh great that was all tied in with uh rants and i guess um epitaph you know the the slackers were signed to hellcat so yeah stubborn all-stars also great record yeah just looked it up he's he's played both live and in the studio with rancid oh okay that's cool. See, look at that. Like very groove, groove band there. You said you got into older stuff too. Like you were getting into two tone or Jamaican stuff. Yeah, the two tone stuff. I was listening to. Uh, I got you know. I when I was young, I just went to. I probably went to New Hope, and there was that store that was called Zipperheads, which is a terrible name for anything. But uh, they had a lot of. Um, like compilation CDs and they had that, you know, the, the, you know, the two tone compilation, the three CD set. This R2 tone, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that one. And so like, I, I got that and went through it song by song and just was like, what do I like here? And, you know, and I found like, that's where I found the body snatchers. And um, then like Tommy actually do Hamill turned me out. He took me to see Laurel Aiken one time at the wetlands. And that was cool. And that's where I sort of branched off and I was like, whoa, okay. Like there's a whole nother thing here. Yeah. And, 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 and then that was like, you know, then it kind of just went into like singles, a lot of singles, like just singles of songs, you know, you get like, I guess, yeah, we probably had seven inches, 45s of, of different things. Like we'd start scouring record stores and finding things that, that, you know, you'd see bands have on like on patches or pins on their jacket and then that's how you would learn about new bands, you know, because it wasn't like this wasn't exactly like easy to find back then. Mm-hmm. You couldn't. You could, it was very different. Like it's, I, I don't I know if people appreciate how different and how hard it was to find music. And now it's like kind of so easy. Yeah, it was like there was a whole world that existed that you know maybe your your classmates or whoever just were unaware of, and then you were unaware of until you started to crack into that world yeah and it was secret you know it was like you felt like you found like a treasure you were like well i found a new song i like this is insane yeah i was attracted to just the the secretness of the uh, of the world of club music before the music itself really spoke to me like just the existence of this alternative music and place of music that is what i was i was fascinated by that first and foremost yeah same i just loved it It it's like this music isn't on the radio this music i 
very few people in my school are aware of it. It just, yeah, it was very alluring. It's fun to find something that like you don't, you know, you know that not everybody knows about. It's just, I think that that's part of the beauty of, of finding things. Like when you're in like a scene that, you, you know, and they, I guess there's probably still scenes, you know, like there's probably, there's probably some like underground music of like kids with their faces tattooed or whatever that like we have no idea about that only like, you know, like it's not the people that are on Spotify or TikTok. It's like, or maybe it's like some wormhole of TikTok that like kids are, are like, you know, doing. And then they found like, oh, this is like, you know, like pin face X nine seven or whatever. And then like, <laughs> I, I don't know any like, you know, he like stabs himself in the ears on stage and like, that's what he does. And like, it's awesome. Who knows? I'm just making up the first thing that came to my mind. And we're just, we're just out of the loop because we're not the youth anymore. Well, yeah. And because we're sitting here talking about ska. Yeah. <laughs> which is fine. But like, that, you know, I'm okay. I'm at the age where I'm okay not being into like everything. Absolutely. And like knowing that there are things that are clearly not for me. I think that, you know, like that would just do America as a, a great service. If they could just be like, you know, it's not for you. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's not for you. Don't worry about it. You don't even need to have an opinion. Just don't even worry about it. Not for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, like if I look at the stuff that like are the young kids, like even my son, like he's he's eight years old and he brings home stuff. And I'm like, what are you listening to? You know, but I don't say that to him. I just go, OK, cool. What are you, you know, I'm trying to hear him out. Like, mm-hmm. what are you into? OK. You know, and, and funny enough, he's bringing me home like punk records and like that kind of thing. He's like, do you know, do you, you know, do you know who like the offspring is? I'm like, no, like, who's the offspring? <laughs> what do they sound like? Like, that sounds wild. Like, what is that? And I'm trying to encourage them, you know, by like, by lying. And, and that's what you, that's how you raise kids. You just lie to them and lie to them. I'm just playing. I, I, I do, I go, yeah, no, I know who the offspring is. I go, I go, I go, what, what part of the offspring have you found? What play it for me? I go, I'm interested. And I let them control the iPhone or whatever it is in the backseat of the car. So so what what ice offspring songs is he into? Um well he's not into like uh too many. I think he's into um Gotta Get Away might be the one he was into. What's the, the one he was really liking? It was uh something off off Smash, probably probably self esteem. That was probably the one. Okay. All right, yeah. As long as it's not pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs> it's not. He he doesn't like that. I, I was like, you I, I, I kind of like baited him a little bit i was like you know uh, pretty fly for what he's like i don't like that song dad i think that song sucks <laughs> i was like i was like cool 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 he likes that song um uh yeah gotta get away and he likes that other one that uh, uh want you bad which i'm not so sure how i feel about that mm. talks about some grown-up stuff in there yeah. yeah i don't know i put on um i was in a mood the other day and i put on leftover crack for my kids and, yeah. and he says he says motherfucker in like the first like 30 seconds of the song he says it twice yeah and, okay. and they, they were both just scandalized they're like oh dad's letting us listen to this yeah oh my god well see i try to not let them hear anything with curses in it but i also i realize that they live in the world and that there are going to be curses that are going sure. to fly out at them and that my thing with them is i go i go listen I go, we don't say that stuff. You know, just we, I go, but you're going to hear it. It's, it exists, but we just don't say that. And I say, you know, that's it. In your own songwriting, do you, does that ever come into consideration writing lyrics? 
Uh, no, because I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't want to make my mom mad, you know? Sure. And like, I never, honestly, I never found a place where I was like, I got to drop an F-bomb here. Yeah. It was just, I can't make my point without this F-bomb. And it like, to me, it just made, I was like, I don't need to do that. And I, I didn't, I, I don't know. It, it almost never became like a thing, you know, like I never had to like make that choice. I never wanted to like have a kid put on a, something I recorded and be like, Hey mom, I really want you to hear this song. And then, you know, it's just a bunch of F bombs. And then, right. they, and then they get grounded for playing the song to them. See, never, never happened to me. Never happened to me as a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. The, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't think it happens to, to me. My dad was cool about it. Like my stepdad anyway, was cool about it. And he was like, I wanted to listen to like Guns N' Roses when I was really young. And like, he made me like an edited version of it, like where he sat there. No, but God bless him because he like dubbed the tape, like yeah. with and he hit pause when there was a swear word in it. So wow. he's like sitting there, like up until two in the morning, like you know, with the lyric sheet, like reading this. Like I can't imagine what he was thinking, but he was like doing it because he like cared enough. Like I was too young to be hearing that at the yeah. time. I was like, you know, it just would have been bad parenting. And like I, I love that he cared enough that I liked this band, but he also cared enough to like make it like some kind of attempt to have a clean version. And I, I was like, you know, like when he gave me the tapes back, and I was like, you know, that's so cool. But then he gave me the real tapes back too, and he was like, just can you do? It? He's like, please just don't listen to the real version of those songs. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay. And I think my friends probably made fun of me for that, but I didn't care. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing to do. That's super cool. Yeah. How old were you when you uh, finally listened to the real tapes? Oh, I mean, I think I heard them way before my dad even figured out that I had the <laughs> tapes. Like I had this friend down the street who was just like, you know, it would, he, he probably, I think he found it. He, he, he definitely knew how to make like a hydrogen bomb when we were six. So like <laughs> there was nothing I didn't know about it, You know, I had plenty of great friends. So, you know what I mean? Like they, they show you all this stuff that like I knew about it, but I just didn't, I, I didn't, you know, want, I didn't want to get in trouble really is the, that that's what kept me out of the desire to not be grounded and be in trouble. I just, that trouble sucks. Mm -hmm. Cause then you don't get to do anything on Saturday. I was like, I got to go to school all week and then sit in my room. I'm not doing that to do what? Do you guys want to blow off your thumbs with firecrackers? No, thanks. <laughs> what, what sort of things would you get grounded for as a kid? Um, probably like sneaking out the window or something at night, going to the Dunkin' Donuts on the corner. Yeah. You know, just oh. not, not great. Only time I ever got grounded was for going to see, um, Skink and Pickle after my parents told me I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, sometimes you gotta go see Skank and Pickle though. But it was totally <laughs> worth it. You, did you say to your mom, like, Hey mom, uh, what the deal? <laughs> 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 Is that not the greatest thing? <laughs> in defense of Ska, we'll return in a moment. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. 
call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Do you remember how you discovered uh, Asian Man Records? Because I know you said that the mail order was like a big deal and the first mail order that you really kind of attached to. You know, I bet you it was uh, it was my friend Brian Rothenbeck or my friend – it was w- one of three people. It would have been Brian Rothenbeck, Tom Duhamel, or this guy Chris Shan. And Chris Shan single-handedly brought – 99% of the music we all discovered to us. I don't know he I don't know how he was so dialed in. Oh, I know how. Skateboarding. Skateboarding videos. That's how. That's like a big portal for a lot of people getting into underground music. Yeah. That has to be it cuz I never got into skateboarding. I was into BMX but not skateboarding. So did you know what ska was when you started ordering stuff off of it or was that sort of the beginning of you coming to touch with this genre? No, I don't think I knew. Oh, you know what? There was some, there was actually, uh, there was a, uh, these guys that were older than us who, who were, were like real into punk and Sky and Oi and that kind of stuff. And they would show us music too. Um, Cause we were, we were young kids and we were just, you know, hungry for more music. And they were, they were probably like 19 or, and we were like 15 or whatever. And they would like show us they'd be like, you know, check this out. And then they'd like punch us or whatever, but then they'd be like, you know, it's cool. <laughs> they'd be like, we're just kidding. Like, check this out. And, and, and that, that's probably how, I don't know if I was aware of like it being ska. Cause I didn't know what that was. I mean, I, I, they taught me that word, you know, they were like, it's ska. And I was like, ska, what's ska? And they're like, this is ska. I'm like, what does it mean? They're like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what's oi? I don't know. It's oi. Okay. And I was like, that ah, is just scary. I don't like it. I was like, I right, let's go back to ska. So when you um when you guys when you guys recorded the 59 sound, um big ska versions. Big ska. But you had okay, Dickie Barrett, you enlisted Dickie Barrett on uh the patient Ferris wheel. Tell me a little bit about that. How did that come about? Well, Ted had worked with the Mighty Mighty Boston's. And so what was he doing with the Mighty Mighty Boston's? I think he produced a record at that point. Oh, wow. Okay. He probably had just finished a record. Um, And Joe, the drummer, he came over with his car to record the beginning of Old White Lincoln. So that car turning on, that's Joe Sorois' car. And I I think that we were hanging out and Joe hung out for the day and we were like, cool, you know, like, this is Mighty Mighty Boston's, like, sick. And, And then, like, we said, hey, do you think Dickie would do anything? And it was like a big thing to us. Like we were like, Dickie's going to do it. And he like came into the studio and sang and like, it was wild. Like it was insane to me to be like, that's the guy. Like, this is like, uh, this is pictures to prove it. And all this, this is like, I know the place, you know, that's that guy, you know? And yeah, he's right there. It was wild. I can still remember that day. Like when he came in, maybe I was very excited. Yeah, this is another one of those weird things where, like, I've listened to the 59 sound many, many times. I, I love that record. And I never noticed that, that but that was Dickie Barrett until I read that. And then I listened to it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's you could totally tell that's Dickie Barrett. How did I, yeah, never, kind of how did I never notice that before? I don't know. That's a, It's a pretty, pretty <laughs> one of a kind voice. It is. I know. I just I guess I, I must have not even it must have not been in my mind to consider that Dickie Barrett would do a guest vocal on K 
Gaslight Anthem at the time. Right, when there was no reason for him to even leave the house at the time. <laughs> yeah. But smart for him to do, you know, like really good for him to do because he's like, now he's like permanently on the greatest album ever recorded. So that's it. <laughs> you know, so good for him. You never know why you got to get out of bed in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. When he, uh, yeah, when they when they read his obituary one day, that's going to be the first line. It's going to be guest vocal on the Fifty Nine Sound. But they'll also have to preface it with, "You might not have noticed, but you might not notice." <laughs> and they'll look right at you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> was it was Joe Gittleman involved with anything in the record? No. Okay. No, Joe wasn't. He, um, I don't know what he he was doing. He was, he was like writing songs, I think, you know, what he does. But uh, I think he asked me like if I wanted to write a song together and I was big time against that idea. I was like, absolutely not. I don't know what my aversion <laughs> was. Well, because I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it on my own. I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want help with this. Like I don't, even if it was going to be the biggest thing in the world, I, I don't care. I don't want to do this. And and I I really wanted to like see if I was worth anything on my own. Yeah. So I was not having that idea. But he, he like was very pleasant about it. He was like, "Do you want to write a song?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> absolutely not." I think because also like the Souls had just done Lean on Sheena, and like that was like I think Ted Hutt did that record too. Um. So it was like sort of like the Ted Hutt family, like. Of, of bands and and like i don't know i guess that's like more commonly done in the in you know like i guess like the rolling stones or whatever they would like record other people's songs but i was like what the heck are you talking about i'm like i'm not recording anyone's song like over my dead body i was like so highly against the idea i'm kind of glad i did it i guess i said no yeah Cause why, like why, you know, I didn't understand why, but like, I guess they were in a community mind of saying like, you know, we all, we all write together. Like we work together or we, we like, we record with each other. And I, I get it. I get that they were, they were, you know, like doing a thing and that was cool. I, I like their thing. I love that song, Lean on Sheena. I think it's great, but I don't know that presented with Lean on Sheena if I would have recorded it myself at the time because I was so busy trying to I was just trying to make my mark and see what I was like I said like see what I was capable of but like on my own I didn't want I didn't want that kind of help because I really needed to prove something to myself and it wasn't any slight against Joe or or anybody else it was just that I needed to I had to do this on my own yeah yeah you know, as as great as the fifty nine sound is, it's interesting. Like, like, you know, two two thousand eight or whenever it was released, uh, and you guys kind of having been more of a basement punk band, it just seems almost surprising to me. At that period of time, this band, you know, you guys get the kind of attention you get, like, this, like, it just didn't necessarily feel like part of like the larger culture's interest. At the time, I mean, I think it's really cool that it did, and that you you guys kind of broke through like a level that maybe a band like yours probably wouldn't expect to be able to break through in that time period. Yeah, it, it, it's it's still kind of weird. Yeah, because it became like very. 
I don't know. Like I don't want. I want to say mainstream, but not. It wasn't mainstream in the same way that like Blink One Eighty Two is mainstream. It, it was like, yeah. but there was definitely like an awareness where you're kind of like, oh yeah, I think I've heard of Tom Waits. You know, like something like that. And you'd be like, well, your average person says like, oh yeah, I've heard of the Tom Waits. I don't know anything by him, but I've heard him. You know, and and like it kind of got to that like level of, you know, what I'm trying to say like where it was still left of centered but it was not underground by any means. Yeah. What was that like for you to go kind of come from this world of playing like more punk shows to suddenly playing these larger venues to larger audiences, maybe audiences that had no interest in like the punk scene or the scene that you'd come from. Oh, they were, they were cool. What was that like for you? Was that, was it a fun ride? Was it, it was exciting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. At times, I mean, at times is also like not fun sometimes. But it was like mostly not fun because like it was. Uh, I felt like a lot of pressure to like it had to be everything had to be now, you know. Like you got to do this now, or it'll never happen again for you. And like yeah. that's a lot of the music business stuff where like that's not true. Like once you once you break through that ceiling and like Bruce Springsteen's calling you up, like that's not going away tomorrow. Like, unless you do something really stupid, but saying like, like if, if you don't, you know, there are things that you probably can't say no to. Like you probably can't say no to like Jules Holland or something like that in England or, you know, over here, I guess if like Jimmy Fallon wants you on his show, you got to do it. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. Cause then there's the thing where you're like, if somebody said to you, like, do you do Saturday Night Live? There's like some people that I, I don't know, maybe you should say no. Cause that's a real catapult. You just go, that's a, you know, like, whoa boy. And then you're gone. But I don't know if you come back from that the same. So I was trying to retain, you know, some humanity as well. And I think everybody was. So I don't, I don't know. We, we did, we, we sort of did it how we thought we should do it kind of each step of the way. And I think it worked out okay for us. Cause the audience was the thing we spent the most time thinking about. And that's, what's been real loyal to us even now. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like you've ever taken your name as a, as a, as a singer songwriter or the band's name and tarnished it at all. I think you like maintained the respect of the band and your catalog and stuff. And I think that's, that's a really delicate balance. Like you said, because I'm sure, weird offers are coming in it's like that or may or may not be good for the the band or whatever yeah sometimes i mean sometimes you just have to you have to kind of like be like as a fan would i want to see that and if if the answer is no you know we've always been like a long game band and we've sort of always said like all right if this person's offering us a hundred thousand dollars to do this thing where we have to like you know i don't know whatever the horrible thing is like we would say to ourselves a hundred thousand dollars that seems insane and we're like how many shows do we have to do to play a hundred thousand dollars okay so if we get this hundred thousand dollars what if it ruins half of our audience and then we're like yeah not worth it it's really easy to see that it's not worth it so you you have to just like be able to see past the money because the money always goes away like it, you always like spend it and then like it's done. <laughs> That's it. So like, 
we knew that without even having any money. And I'm not sure why we knew that, but we did. And we always said like, you know, I want to be able to do this for a long time. I don't think that we should do that. Our, our merch guy, uh, Danny has the best saying in the world. And I tell it to my kids and it says, you always got to look out for future you. Mm. And like when you're presented with a decision, you have to go, you know what? I'm not going to have that 10th shot because future me has got to get up super early tomorrow morning. So I don't look out for future me because that's who I'm going to be in a little bit. So you got to look out for future you. Wow. I mean, so, I mean, you started playing music uh, like in the late nineties, right? Yeah. Like mid nineties, like playing in like coffee houses and stuff in, in, in Hackettstown. Okay. So, before this moment you had over a decade of having played music yeah so i mean i mean that must have factored into your 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 thought process on having this moment in the spotlight because you'd been involved with music for you know for so long before that it did but i don't think it can prepare you for like like you know it's it's weird because when you go from like zero to a hundred and like, I guess if you sold like a million records or something like that, which like didn't happen to us, like dude, 59 sounds not even gold. Like it's not even sold 500,000 records, <laughs> Wow. which, yeah, which that'll tell you. So like, yeah, that puts into perspective, like, you know, anybody who's like, those guys are rich and they have boats and, you know, and like, and they pee golden fountains and all that. <laughs> like that's not <laughs> happening. So, it it's like you go from like that to like a gold record or whatever. Like say you're like, you know, like, like I I'm, I'm friends with, uh, with Jacob Dylan, who's like, uh, you know, he had a, a giant song in, in one headlight. Right. Yeah. So sometimes I'll say like, well, how was that? And he'll tell me about all the crazy things that are like difficult to deal with when you have a song that's that massive. Um, but to go and then like have like Bruce Springsteen show up is sort of a different thing because he basically is like, you're cool. And then all his people are kind of like, Hey, they're cool. And it's sort of like a really different way. It's a way bigger version of like, I guess your friend and in, in like the scene that you're with and you're like, yo, check this record out. And they're like, yo, that's cool. And then they tell like 150,000 people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> And then that's like, that's just the way it is. I don't get it, but it, it worked in a really, really like, I don't know, kind of like massively not underground, underground way. Like, I feel like we're like the underground band of the mainstream. That's what I feel like. Like yeah. not the replacements. Cause like, we're not like the replacements. Like the, the, even the replacements had like hits, like they had that can't hardly wait song. And like, they were on the radio. They complained about not being on the radio, but they were on the radio. And people, they had a big major label deal. You know what I mean? Like we were past that. We didn't get that. Like that was, it was different for us. It, it was like still more underground than that. Yeah. You were on side one dummy. That right. Yeah. Right. We weren't on SNL. We never been on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, we, I wouldn't know what to do on Saturday Night Live. It would be like, I'd be like you guys, this show used to be funny. This show sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's your you introduced your song that way. Yeah, I'd be like, this is like, like I got Scarlett Johansson's husband over here. This is this is who this guy's not. This guy's fine. He, I actually think that the the news is the best part of the whole 
the whole show. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Because they're funny. They seem like to like each other. Wait, Colin Jost, his name? Yeah. Seems nice. Fine. Fine guy. I don't care about him, right? Probably seems fine. <laughs> doesn't offend me. That's what I'm trying to say. Michael Che doesn't offend me. Don't care. I don't know anything about either one of them. I just know that they're on the TV and they make me laugh. Well, actually, you know why they make me laugh? They make me laugh because they make each other laugh so much. Yeah. And that's what makes me laugh. I mean, that's the best thing to watch on Saturday Night Live is when, when the cast the cast is making each other laugh. And they're trying not to laugh. That's the best. I miss uh, Kristen Wiig. That's who I miss. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, you were, if you were on Saturday Night Live, would you want to participate in one of the um, sketches? Uh, it would really depend on what it was. Cause like, sometimes I feel like it goes wrong. Like yeah. when you're like, they did a Justin Timberlake one, one time and he like was doing an impression of, uh, Bonnie bear. Uh-huh. And I was like, nah, I was like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I was like, you don't know who, like, <laughs> this is no. And it just didn't, I don't know. It's just not, I wasn't into it. Yeah, you might also get stuck in the the what's up with that sketch, and you're just the guest that doesn't get to say anything. <laughs> what's up with that? I would love that. I would. Uh, I would not be interested in. I feel like I would not feel very comfortable on SNL. Like I don't know if that's like my vibe. I would just be like, I don't belong here. Like someone kill me. I feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> I just feel like that's not a place for me. Sure. That's perfectly understandable. Yeah. It's like we were saying before. It's not my thing. It's fine. It's just not my thing. So Bruce Springsteen, he, he took an interest in uh, this, the record, like a, a little bit after it was released, right? Yeah. Like a, about a, a year after. And so you guys, uh, Gla- the Glastonbury festival. Yeah. He, he joined you. Is that right? With, did he, was it the 59, the song, the 59 sound? Yep. He joined us. And then you joined him for No Surrender. Was that the same festival or was that a little later than that? No, it was the same day. Like we were playing back to back. So it was, we did Glastonbury the one day. And then the next day we did uh, like Hyde Park Calling in London, which is uh, in Hyde Park. So yeah, we, we like we played and then he sang with us and then he played and I sang with them. And, and that happened two nights in a row. So, wow. and then he made a movie out of it, which was even better for my career. So <laughs> I told him, I was like, listen, dude, you know, we got to get you on something someday. You can't, you know, this is, you've set it up too much. Don't taunt the people, give the people what they want. They want you to make me famous. So that's the deal. <laughs> so that was the big moment of him telling the 150,000 of his close personal friends that this dude's pretty cool basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, those back-to-back shows and then the, the film of it. That is true. That's what happened. Okay. So uh, a few weeks ago, I mean, from the time we're taping this, you, you, you tweeted that um, you were on the phone with Bruce and you spilled a bunch of cat food. I did. <laughs> and, and tell us a little about the scene here. Well, okay. So I'm, it's like about five, five o'clock at night and and I'm, I'm dealing with my two children and they are being absurd and it's dinner time. And I'm very certain that my wife was mad at me about something. 
uh, and I was I was having a bad day, and I was very stressed at the time. And I opened the the gate. We have a uh, we have a puppy who's uh, very big, and we we got him, and he got so big, so so big. So he's <laughs> six months old, and he's like seventy pounds. It's absurd. Like I bought a crate that two humans could literally live in, and it's not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. Two humans could fit in there. It's so big and he's so big. So I have a I have a gate that separates our cats from him just so that he gets – sometimes he gets excited and I don't want him to hurt the cats because he's massive. I don't know if I mentioned that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm walking around. I feel this vibration in my back pocket. I go, oh, my goodness. Who is this? So I look at the phone just for a second and it says – it just says Bruce. So the bat phone goes off and I know what that is because it's one of two people. It's either Batman or it's Bruce Springsteen. So I got to call, I got to call him back. So I'm, I got the angry wife, the kids yelling, giant dog, cats hungry, carrying cat food. And I call him back and he's like, hello. And then I dropped the cat food because I, <laughs> it wasn't like, I wasn't like shocked that he called. I was just, I just dropped the cat food, but I didn't want him to know that I dropped the cat food because <laughs> I wanted to hear what he had to say. I realized he's busy and I don't want him to lose his train of thought because if he does, he may not have said the thing that's going to make me famous. So, uh, I, I said, uh, hello. And then he, you know, he said what he had to say. And then I, I was like, okay, but I didn't tell him I dropped the cat food. <laughs> Wow. All right. That's the story. And and I, I don't know. It was like not that big of a deal. People seem to love it on Twitter, though. They love that. <laughs> <laughs> love that story. I think that's the single tweet that got me the most like likes. Sure. Which is absurd. Because <laughs> I feel like I say good stuff all the time. You do. You just you say good <laughs> stuff. But yeah, I think uh, something about you dropping your cat food while talking to Bruce Springsteen is just brings the What's imagination human? yeah <laughs> you know it's not like it's not like i got a call from bruce springsteen and the rest of you suck you know it's like i got a call from bruce springsteen and, and i did what everyone else on this platform would do drop the cat food <laughs> thank you so much for listening to in defense of scott if you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash In Defense of Ska. You will get monthly bonus episodes extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the Indefensive Ska Discord. Indefensive Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of Ska memes floating around the interwebs, 
was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On that note, we leave you by saying, Ska now more than ever. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.